Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales. We believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to P.S. Nail about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about writing as a kid, being inspired by life, publishing your first book as a birthday gift to yourself, writing incredibly fast, following other authors for tips and tricks, using social media to find beta readers, setting smaller goals to feel proud of yourself, and keep going and support your fellow indie creators. Raised by Venom a war has been brewing between two opposing groups for over 300 years. V-E-N-O-M. Vampire Eradicating National Organization of Malice. And S-A-V-E. Supernaturals Against Venom Elitists. Sage. A human trained as a vampire hunter and born into the Venom Society made a mistake on her first night in the field when she chose the wrong vampire to kill. She now has a mark on her back from his vengeful, blood-sucking brother. Being terrorized by a vampire is stressful enough, but when secrets about her society are revealed, she struggles with her own moral code. What is Venom actually doing with its victims? Luca, a vampire and a member of Save, watched his brothers die at the hands of Sage. He is strategically planning to mess up her world before getting his revenge. But what fun would that be without terrifying her first? The hunter will be the hunted, as Sage and those around her become his prey. It's easy to make enemies when you have opposing views. And when these two collide, you don't want to be in the way. Blood will spill, and hearts will break in a fight for survival. The thrill of fighting him was addicting. He was addicting. His eyes darkened as he looked at me from under his long lashes— His hand tightened on my throat and I swallowed hard from the pressure, the nervousness now getting to me. He moved in close, his nose touching mine. His fangs were only a breath away, along with his lips, sage. My breaths were ragged as I tried hard to shift my focus, to break the intense eye contact. But I couldn't. Her beautiful brown irises were giving me life, The cock of a small crossbow made me flinch, the fear of death being the only thing that could take my attention from her. Luca. All right, well, this show is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that's fairy tales in two ways, and this would be the part that you didn't hear. So Freya's Fairy Tales is the show, and that is in two different ways. So that is fairy tales are something we either watched or read or had read to us as we were kids. 
Um, and it's also the journey of spending the weeks, months, years working on your novels to then get to hold them in your hands is a fairy tale for you. So I'd like to start off with what was your favorite fairy tale or short story when you were a kid? And did your favorite change as you got older? Um, my favorite as a kid was I was hooked on Disney, like most girls, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they're young. And The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast were my two favorites. And mm-hmm. The Little Mermaid is still my favorite. I can still say the entire movie out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and I even have, I have Gr- or I have a Hans Christian Andersen's version where she's crying because he dies, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have fairy tale princesses all over. <laughs> So you so you legit like fairy tales. <laughs> and I've had red hair since I was 15 because of Ariel's. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> my hair is naturally black, actually. So I actually had red hair from like 2009. I was about 19 until last year. Like just before I started the Daily Fiction podcast, I was like, yeah. I'm tired of the upkeep on this. And so I decided to go brown, and so we designed the logo with brunette hair. So it's kind of a, like, cartoonized version of me on the logo for that podcast. Yeah, yeah, red hair. I love the red hair. I contemplate going back to the red hair. I loved it. I just didn't like that you have to color it all the time. (laughs) I hate that. I hate that. I want to go purple so bad because that's my favorite color, but that's why I have it because I'm like, I don't have time to upkeep, and it always fades to the almost natural-looking red every time. I'm fine with that for like a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. I would do. So my issue is my roots are blonde. And so you oh. could definitely see as it start and my hair grows really fast. Um, so, so mine was not red because of Ariel. It was just red because in college. Um, so growing up, I wasn't like allowed to color my hair. And then we were, but it had to be natural colors. And so then when I got into college, I'm like, I can do what I want now. I'm living on my <laughs> So I did my bangs. I had like half of it was black and the other half was like red or purple. Um, I would change pink, red, purple, depending on the mood. Um, And my roommates at the time were like, you have a lot going on with the blonde in the back and the red or the color and the black in the front. They're like, just pick one. I'm like, "Okay, we'll go all red. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had like a black peekaboo. So I still had dual colors, but um, the underneath was always black. One of my favorite sayings is, let me peacock. Let me spread my feathers. Let me peacock. I'm like, we went from strict to like, I can do what I want in college. Like, leave me alone. 100, yeah. (laughs) So at what age did you start writing stories? Even if, you know, not necessarily the ones you published, but at what age did you start writing? Um, I started writing at the age of nine, but I was writing poetry. And then at 10, I started writing stories. Okay. So a very long time ago. <laughs> so your early days, what inspired your your writings in the early days? Um, pretty much a little bit of everything. If I I'm uh, in my actual, I have a poetry book out. Uh, most people don't know about. It. I don't talk about it very often. Um, mm-hmm. I have a poetry and book, and in that, there's a couple poems in there from when I was like nine and ten and eleven. And there's like oh. some of them are about dragons and the sky. <laughs> One day I was walking home from the ice cream store and I, I mean, I was 10, you know, with uh-huh. my aunt and I looked up and there was literally no stars in the sky. And I was like, where are all the stars? And I, at 10, no one, my aunt didn't even explain to me that the clouds were out really thick. Right, you know? right. And I got home and asked my grandma and she told me, she's like, well, it's just cloudy. Like the, the stars didn't disappear. You know? <laughs> yeah. They so didn't I just have- leave. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't just like sizzle out. So I actually have a poem about that in my poetry book. <laughs> that's that's like the one genre that I don't narrate. Um I'm I'm like slightly traumatized with poetry. Like I've had books that had a little bit of poem in there. But the first poem I remember reading was in college and it was Beowulf. <laughs> oh. Like, I, I was just incredibly traumatized by like the professor that made us read this thing that I had to read multiple times to pass all the quizzes and tests. And it was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. I, I don't narrate that, <laughs> but I've done fiction with like, you know, someone wrote a song or they're singing some little like tune or whatever. I've narrated some, but not an entire poetry book. <laughs> yeah, my narrator actually is doing mine right now and she's about halfway through. So, OK, I really don't advertise it. I guess I should do that. <laughs> I don't market my poetry book hardly at all. So, I mean, if you don't want to sell any copies, don't talk about it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. <laughs> but that's what I tell my husband. I'm like, you have. <laughs> he makes a TikTok. Neither one of us use our own names. We use, you know, pseudonyms. And so he finally picked his pseudonym. And I'm like, cool, now you need to start making friends because if people don't know you exist, <laughs> yeah, you won't no ever sell anything. <laughs> so then yeah. he, he'd be like, I made however many friends today. And he's like, He's not up to a thousand yet, but he'll like, you know, pop in and talk on like text message stuff on people's lives. Man, I feel old saying that that way. Anyways, um, <laughs> so he'll like, you know, be on and talking to people. He'll be like, I made friends and like, <laughs> they just talk yeah. on lives. <laughs> I'm, I'm making it a point now to once a month market that book. One, just once a month, though. One I time. can't do any more than that. Once a month. I'm going to make a I'm going to make an appointment in my phone to remind me. <laughs> So you start writing when you're nine. You actually did publish some of those early stuff, which most people don't. That's like the, you know, back corner of the room in a chest that you never look at again. Yeah, that's pretty much where I found them, too. <laughs> so then when did you, because your first book, did you publish that last year or was it the year before? No, you said uh, you're celebrating one year. Yep, January 31st, 2022, which is actually my birthday. I published my first book. I wanted it on my birthday. I wanted it like a gift to myself. Cool. So how long did it take you to write that first book? Like the first draft? Three and a half weeks. Oh my gosh. And that's a big boy, isn't it? 5,000 words. Wait, how many? 105,000. You wrote in three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So, so you write your first draft way faster than anyone I've ever talked to. <laughs> and then what did you do with it after you had the first version down? Um, I had just accidentally found book talk, like randomly on TikTok. I never even got on there. Um, I fell into book talk and then I noticed so many, I found so many indie authors that were just doing all this on their own. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. Maybe. I don't mm -hmm. know. Let's try it. So, uh, I immediately put up a post looking for beta readers. I got like 30, like really quickly. And I gave them the book and let them go. Like just so I can figure out what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I hired an editor, uh, which is usually it's back. I did it backwards, right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I kind of want to know if it was even worth paying for an editor, you know? Right. So I had an editor, had her do it, hired a cover artist on Fiverr, and... Here you are. 
<laughs> yeah. And then I learned to make my own covers. So my other covers after those first two books are I make my own covers now. So. Okay. I actually designed a cover for another author. Um, and then I was like, hey, this actually isn't that hard. Although like, you know how like you have a vision in your head of how a cover should be. And then no one can, yes. unless you just find it, it's the same as picking your narrator. You want like mm -hmm. the perfect person that understands what was in your head. And unless yes. you find that person, no one else is ever going to match up to exactly what you want. Yes. Um, but I, you know, I designed a cover for this one book. Um, the cover wasn't bad. It's just like it, it's part of like an overarching. He has kind of like it's a collection of these series. So all these series kind of tie together. And so like I had narrated five of the books. Uh, or Actually, I'm narrating the fifth right now. And all the covers look very much the same. They all have the same feel to them, the same style mm, to them. Yeah. And then this other series, it's a totally different theme, style. And I'm like, if this is an overarching, like, all these series tie together, they need to look the, the same. same. Yeah. yeah. So um, he had just lost his job. And so I was like, you know, I, I can try my hand at it. And now he's like, you know, I'm going to pay, you know, the person that did my other covers to do it. I'm like, hey, that's totally fine. But now I feel comfortable making my own. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And one of the indie authors, which is a great place I do want to mention in case any indie authors are watching this later, like getcovers.com, it's like $25 and they do an excellent job. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I might be looking into in the future if I ever run out of time, because that's my thing is I don't have time, but those I are like pre-made pre-mades, right? Uh, no, actually, you send them the idea and they do it. And the first draft, I did send one to see how it was because they, they had a sale for Black Friday. And I was like, let's mm. see how good they are. So I sent them mm -hmm. an idea in, and they sent back something and I really didn't like it. And I told them they sent back something completely different. And I loved it. And I was like, that's really close to what I wanted. And that's kind mm -hmm. of for that price. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. So I know some people can't afford to have, you know, really good artists go in and work on their work, unfortunately. Well, it's so... And this this is kind of I am kind of lazy and I'll explain this. <laughs> I I want to make it big with, you know, writing and podcast and stuff like that. But I don't want to like with podcasting, the way you make money is you have advertisers on your podcast. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I. And it might be slightly imposter syndrome-y, but I'm like, I don't want to have to go find them. Like, I know if I make it to a certain point, they'll start reaching yeah. out to me. And that's a lot easier for me than having to, like, spend all this time pitching my show to people. Yeah, exactly. So I've reached out to, like, a handful and never heard anything back. And I'm just like, eh, we'll just wait until they reach out to me. <laughs> like, same with, like, publishing. I'm like, would I complain if a big five wanted to publish my book? No. Am I going to spend the, you know, years pitching my book to all these agents? No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So, like, I I'll self-publish and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, pretty much what I did. And I don't know if I'd ever go with a publisher because it, it's a rough place for me because I have control issues and mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to take something on my book because you said it. So sorry, I'd rather just, and if that means making mm -hmm. less money and you know, it, it is what it is. I, I can't help the way I am, you know? Well, I mean, less money, it depends on how you look at it. So if you're marketing well, your yes. book well, you get to keep 100% of everything you make beyond what you're paying out to the people doing, you know, the editing and the covers or whatever you're having done yeah. for you. Um, where like, 
or if you are royalty sharing a book, you're obviously splitting that money with your narrator. Um, but with <laughs> you know publishing, they're taking their cut off that too. So, you know, making less money, maybe if you're not ever talking about to sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to sell a lot to make, you know, good money with a publisher too. It's not, it's kind right. of catch 22 either way. So you put out your first book on your birthday. You find your beta readers to, you know, talk about and promote your book. Obviously, they liked it because you kept going. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of how did you start talking about it? You fell into book talk. What did you start doing to you know talk about it on there? I was just paying attention to what other indie authors are doing. And then I made some friends who were telling me, uh, you can make these kind of videos or you can do this. And mm -hmm. they were just kind of giving me a little bit of um, a push to go in what direction to do. So that's mm -hmm. kind of just what I did. I pay attention to what everyone does. And, you know, and I help a lot of indies as well now that I know a little bit more. I still call myself a baby author. I probably yeah. will always call myself that. <laughs> like 10 years from now, I might level up to like, you know, preteen. Yeah. I, I asked, um, I think it was A.K. Mulford. I was like, you know, at what point do you consider like you've made it? Because I feel like every time you set a goal, you move the goalpost. So like, yeah. is it yeah. five books published, $100,000 made, so many reviews on your book? Like, what's what's the goal that makes you, yeah. you know, a big deal now? <laughs> what's, yeah, what's the golden ticket? Somebody needs to tell us because I don't think any of us really know. <laughs> I think everybody's is different. And I think the more type A you are, the more you're going to struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got, you know, the ones that, uh, I love the saying that, like, imposters don't get imposter syndrome. Like, oh, I, yeah. They're just like, I'm so awesome. And everybody's like, huh? Who are you? <laughs> I'm bad about saying, oh, my God, I suck. And I need to stop saying that, really, because I don't know. <laughs> other people are going to start believing it. Like, <laughs> I say that too, like with my audiobooks, I'm like, gosh, my audiobooks were terrible in the beginning. Like if you listen to like old fiction podcasts, like the first couple books that I did, I'm like, it was terrible. But then I did the best job I could at the time. Yeah. So like if you constantly aim for I'm not going to put it out till it's perfect, you're not going to put anything out ever. No, 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 you're not. Because I'm a better writer now. I just released my third novel. Um I'm a better writer now than I was on my first novel. And I went back mm -hmm. and read it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I did that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm constantly update. I will update stuff if I see something. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I shouldn't have. But, you know, that and that word is like, I don't know. It's not strong enough. And I'm bad. So what do you feel has helped you get better? Um reading a lot of novels and writing and I when I read now I used to I mean I still read for the story but I also mm -hmm. pay attention to a lot of things that some people do like the wording and stuff because I'm bad about when I my first draft especially sometimes I'll write the sentences I don't want to say backwards but like my prose is weird like messed up. <laughs> yeah like yeah it's definitely a little weird sometimes and I'm like why did I say it like that I wouldn't have said it like that in real life but I think when you're typing so fast you just yeah your brain can't sometimes and I do type fast. Yeah, I've Super had a couple fast. authors where like I'm, you know, reading through their book ahead of narrating it and like some of the sayings will be kind of flip-flopped and I'm like I don't yeah. know if that's like a, you know, that's how we say it in the south and that's not how you say it up north or if it's just like a you just you're like, well, these words are in that saying somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's just our brains. 
<laughs> the word the words got on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all we, that's all that matters. That's all we care about. The words got on the page. We can fix that later. So you published. So that's three books we're up to. You did the poetry book, and then you have two other novels out, right? Um. Yeah, I have more? three novels and a poetry book total, so I have four books total. Okay, and so you start towards the end of the year branching into audiobook narration. How was that, listening to snippets of your books? It's so weird because, like, I like everybody, but, I, like, I don't feel like no one's, like, that's it, you know, for the longest time. It's really hard for me because, like you said, my characters are in my head. I listen mm-hmm. to them. I listen to everything they tell me. I mean, they'll I'll be in the shower and they're like, oh, I have a scene for you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Every time I'm in the shower, they have scenes. <laughs> like, so my characters are tall. So I hear them. And it's I know this. That sounds psychotic saying it out loud. It is. But I've heard other authors say the same thing. Yes. So it makes me more comfortable knowing that I'm not alone. Because for the longest time, I thought, you know, there was something wrong with me. Right. Well, in it, you know, that's part of if you've been narrating for any length of time, you just know, like, I got a message from someone yesterday that was like, hey, I loved your audition, but you're not quite right for this book. Yeah. Totally get it. I'm like, that's totally okay that I don't match 100% the voice that was in your head. Maybe down the road, I'll match whatever voice was in your head for the next book. (laughs) Yeah. So it's part of the game. You just hope that you don't get that message that I had one guy that was clearly just trying to sell coaching services because he's like, God, your audition was so bad, but you can pay me to coach you and I'll make it better. And I'm like, and I will never hire you because that is a terrible way to like promote your services. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, no, no. A better way would be like, hey, here's what you did really well. (laughs) But but again, if I'm auditioning for your book, I'm not looking for coaching tips. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So people are weird. That's like hiring an editor that only tears down your book. Like they don't say anything good about it ever. <laughs> it's just yeah. Not, yeah. not fun. <laughs> also, don't hire the one that only says good things either. There's like this yeah. fine medium. You got to find that person. So things, I I, things I've I learned have. doing this podcast. Hire an editor that likes your genre. Hire mm-hmm. an editor that does their job. So they're they're actually editing and possibly telling you what things you're doing well, which is kind of, you know, all the same. Like, hey, you did this really well, but hey, this this part over here is a little weird. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, hey, you're missing a scene about, you know, you mentioned this, but like that never happens anywhere in this entire book. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that and I had to go back and add stuff. I'm like, why did I even say this if I wasn't going to do it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was probably a thought in your head at some point and then you just forgot to (laughs) go add it. (laughs) Exactly. So are you more of a beginning to end writer or do you jump around while you're writing? How does that process work on novels? Poems are different, obviously. Yeah, I found out that I'm a chaotic pants puzzle pantser is what they're calling it Uh, okay (laughs) I don't know what that means a a puzzle pantser I don't outline I just listen to what the characters tell me I write pieces of scenes that just pop in my head randomly so I'll write the beginning of the book or a piece from the middle or the quarter sometimes I'll write the ends towards the beginning of the of me starting the writing process I write them all and then I fill in the gaps and then I'm done like of course and then 17,000 rounds of editing but right right (laughs) But yeah, yeah so I 
I puzzle everything together afterwards. Yeah, that I mean, um, I I'm a beginning to end, but I've heard of many people that do. I haven't heard it called puzzle piece, but you know, writing or some that'll like. I'm really tired of writing all this filler stuff to get us to point B. Let's just go ahead and write point B and then fill it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. It's just puzzle it all together in the shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you have like a notepad outside your shower or your phone yeah. notes? How do you how do you remember? <laughs> Are you I, you running so with a towel around you to your computer? <laughs> surprisingly, they don't shut my characters don't shut up. So they'll just keep saying the same thing until I get out and fix it, you know. Okay. So sometimes I'll even go to work and I'll just and the scene will even get bigger and bigger until I get home and I'm like, ah, go into town. So yeah. <laughs> Ignore that sound effects I just did. That's me typing. <laughs> that happens to me with books. I'll like read a series and then I'll have a scene from that series playing in my head. And then I'll have yeah. to, sometimes it was really bad when I would do, um, I use Scribd, the like reading app, Scribd, Scribd, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I would read all these like indie authors and random authors because like publishers, they kind of cycle the publisher's books. Um, so I would read a series and then I'd get a scene stuck in my head and you just pray to God that you can Google what you can remember of that scene to hopefully <laughs> figure out what book that was from. Because <laughs> I'm yeah, terrible right. at remembering the character's names, the book name, the series name, the author name. I'm like, I just remember the scene that I remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, I have one series that I've read through three or four times now because one's that's the same exact scene. So finally, after the third time reading it digitally, I bought the series so that I had it now so I could remember easier. <laughs> <laughs> that one series you've had to Google multiple times. <laughs> yeah, it's, I do that in my own books. I'm like, I wrote this when someone tells me, oh, when this happens, and I'm like, yeah, and then I have to go look it up, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I don't remember what I do. People like <laughs> my characters do it, not me. I just put it on paper. You're like, I've slept since I wrote that. I don't, I don't. One hundred percent, pretty much. That was so. We talked about like balancing things at the beginning. So like my New Year's resolutions for this year is like more balance. Where like I can do. Last year was a lot of like. I tried balancing at the beginning and then it became a whole lot of just like prepping other people's books and narrating other people's books and like nothing of my own stuff. So like this year, I'm like, we're going to read at least a chapter a day in a book off my bookshelf. We're going to oh, nice. do at least 10 minutes on my own book that hasn't been worked on in months. So yeah. like even you know, ideally, I can read more than that and write more than that. But like. Mm -hmm. That's a starting place. That's at least, you know, I can read through their very short chapters because mine, I've written mostly only dialogue at this point. <laughs> but <laughs> I can, you know, read through, you know, one to two chapters in 10 minutes to where I can, you know, make progress because I don't remember what I've written at this point because it's been six months since I wrote on yeah. it. So <laughs> I don't remember what I written last week. I can't imagine going six months. I'd be like, did I even start that book? I'm gone. like, yeah, in my head, I'm like, I remember it's about superheroes and there's vaccines involved. But like, <laughs> <laughs> what else happens? I don't remember. <laughs> Where'd that potato come from? What's the potato about? <laughs> I remember that I exceeded my best friend's spice 
level. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you, so, um, we talk about, like, books that we read or whatever, and spicy books, and you don't, in my head, I don't even think about, like, different people have different definitions for spice mm-hmm. vocabulary, and so I'm, like, writing my book at, uh... I would not consider it like Sierra Simone level spice, like under that for sure, for sure. Um, But not like Nicholas Sparks either. It's way above that. So I'm like, you know, riding along and she's alpha reading for me and she gets to like the first scene of anything. And I get like a Christina Aguilera meme back where she's like waving her face. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, maybe I should have asked what the spiciest book you've ever read was. She sends back, like, I don't even remember something that is not even close to anything that I would have ever considered spicy. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I have no filter with spicy words. I will use all of them. I I don't like to use, like, member and stuff. I like to use the word. So I just... Oh my gosh, I just prepped. So typically I'm kind of used to, I've done a lot of romance audiobooks at this point, and I'm kind of used to like the same words getting used over and over and over again. But I was just prepping a book and she like varies the words that she used. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Someone used a thesaurus. <laughs> like yes. there's different I... words used. It's not just cock every five seconds. I'm like, yes. this is great. Yeah. I have to spread out my... So we're allowed to say all the words in here? Oh, it's marked explicit, so it doesn't matter. Oh, good, because I've been holding back over here. Go for it. Everybody knows me. I'm a spicy author, so this is is my thing. So I was cussing on TikTok yesterday. It's just kind of my thing, but accidentally on purpose. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I use all the bad words for sure, but I do have alpha readers that come in and they're like, okay, you just said cock twice in like the same sentence almost pretty. I was like, yeah, so I do try. I do go back and I break them up, but I do use pretty much all the bad words in the beginning because that's just how they come in my head. Yeah, (laughs) I ain't going to break up my flow, you know? Yeah, mine. I don't. So I'm from the South um, Bible Belt of most of my family is very conservative and don't know anything about what they know I narrate, but not what I narrate. Like we just yeah. we we keep things separate. They know about my fiction podcast, which I host under a different name so that they can know about that and I can talk about that. And then the rest of it, it's like I did 57 books this year. Not going to tell you how, but I yeah. did. <laughs> so, um, but they are, you know, there there's no world in which I would ever tell them that I wrote things. But Freya Victoria has become kind of the like, we're just going to go with all fiction things and books that I write are going to be under that. And my husband picked a name so he can do his um, separately because it's like the book he's currently writing. There's no way I could narrate that one. Um, but in yeah. the future, eventually, maybe I would narrate one of his. This one has too many accents. I could not do all of them so (laughs) I'm like you need a narrator that knows those already because it will take me too long to learn them (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so as you you are working on building this and promoting your books and stuff what are things that you kind of try to keep in the back of your head as you're making the TikTok videos and as you're writing the books I guess (laughs) um I really don't I'm a pantser in life too (laughs) I feel like doing a video today. <laughs> I literally, I'll have days where I don't feel like doing them. And I sometimes I just don't like, you know, and TikTok pretty much will 
you know, mark you down as being bad for the day because they lower all your views, you know, the Mm -hmm. next day if you do that. So I try really hard to post daily, but I just, whatever inspires me, sometimes it's a song and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And other times it's just, I just, when inspiration hits, I go with it. And other times I have no inspiration. I'm like, well, I guess we're just going to start sharing all my friends everything that they have I'm doing until I get inspiration (laughs) again. So yeah, I've just recently started reposting stuff. Um, Oh, I repost a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I ever really did that, but then I'm like, there's nothing wrong with, I don't, how does that work? Like, can they see it on your profile or it boosts it? Or like, do you have any idea how that works? (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't show up on your profile, but it helps your friends. So any indie author, if I see their release date, I definitely post their, you know, try to uh, repost for them or do Mm -hmm. it and share. And uh, it comes up to my friends that might not have seen their video, Mm. or if we both have mutual friends, it'll push it to that friend a little bit more than if they missed it. So okay. it doesn't help the algorithm if you repost. So I repost the crap out of everything. Yeah, I think I try to leave the there's there's a couple controversies going on right now that I'm just like. Because people are like duetting and whatever, I'm like, you realize you're giving that person more attention than they deserve. Like, stop. Talk yeah, about re- them, but don't link to them in any way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to duet anyone that has problematic content or anything. I'm not going to you know, or controversial content. Any, I'm not going to give them views or likes or comments. You know, I'm not going to even share their video. You know, I'll share someone else's video that's talking about it before I'd share theirs, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to give them the attention. Well, and there's half the stuff. So sometimes I come across or like someone will duet whatever the video is. And then sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And then I try to like find the rabbit trail that it came from. And then you're just like, eh, I'll eventually someone will give you the lowdown of the whole thing. <laughs> I always see stuff when it's either at the end. I usually dead smack in the middle or at the end. I never see in the beginning. Like, I'm like, when did this happen? It's like been going on for three or five days. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And then sometimes like I just sent screenshots to Ruthie because like someone who's been problematic popped back up randomly I came across alive and I'm like mm-hmm. Ruthie he's back <laughs> oh. under a different name <laughs> oh no so it is I mean the things and I just saw a video of this like book talk doesn't forget things um I think it was Amanda Mant was talking about that she's like you know book talk doesn't forget they've got the screenshots and the videos recorded to yeah. like post later or the twitter threads or whatever yeah i I forget a lot of things if i've had any authors on here that were controversial i had no idea because i can't remember anything so i'm that that's why i make you guys sign a form so that if anything (laughs) bad ever happened i have the authority to pull it yeah i'm like you know hopefully that wouldn't happen i mean there's a couple people i definitely remember that they did stuff but other ones I'm I just I I'm not on TikTok a whole lot and like I can't remember all the names. I'm terrible at names. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't remember anyone's name half the time. P.S. Nail liked The Little Mermaid growing up. The Little Mermaid is a literary fairy tale written by the Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. The story follows the journey of a young mermaid who's willing to give up her life in the sea as a mermaid to gain a human soul. The tale was first published in 1837 as part of a collection of fairy tales for children. The original story has been a subject of multiple analyses by scholars, such as Jacob Bogild and Pernil Hagard, as well as the folklorist Maria Tadar. 
These analyses cover various aspects of the story, from interpreting the themes to discussing why Anderson chose to write a tragic story with a happy ending. It has been adapted to various media, including musical theater, anime, ballet, opera, and film. There's also a statue portraying the mermaid in Copenhagen, Denmark, where the story was written and first published. Today, we'll be reading The Story of the Siren by E. M. Forster. Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Story of the Siren Few things have been more beautiful than my notebook on the Deist controversy, as it fell downward through the waters of the Mediterranean. It dived like a piece of black slate, but opened soon, disclosing leaves of pale green, which quivered into blue. Now it had vanished. Now it was a piece of magical India rubber stretching out to infinity. Now it was a book again, but bigger than the book of all knowledge. It grew more fantastic as it reached the bottom, or a puff of sand welcomed it and obscured it from view but it reappeared quite sane, though a little tremulous, lying decently open on its back, while unseen fingers fidgeted among its leaves. It is such a pity, said my aunt, that you will not finish your work in the hotel. Then you would be free to enjoy yourself, and this would never have happened. Nothing of it but will change into something rich and strange, warbled the chaplain, while his sister said, Why, it's gone into the water. As for the boatmen, one of them laughed, while the other, without a word of warning, stood up and began to take his clothes off. Holy Moses, cried the colonel. Is the fellow mad? Yes, thank him, dear, said my aunt. That is to say, tell him he is very kind, but perhaps another time. All the same, I do want my book back, I complained. It's for my fellowship dissertation. There won't be much left of it by another time. I have an idea, said some woman or other through her parasol. Let us leave this child of nature to dive for the book while we go on to the other grotto. We can land him either on this rock or on the legend's side, and he'll be ready when we return. The idea seemed good, and I improved it by saying I would be left behind too to lighten the boat. So the two of us were deposited outside the little grotto on a great sunlit rock that guarded the harmonies within. Let us call them blue, though they suggest rather the spirit of what is clean, cleanliness passed from the domestic to the sublime, the cleanliness of all the sea gathered together in radiating light. The blue grotto at Capri contains only more blue water, not bluer water. That color and that spirit is the heritage of every cave in the Mediterranean, into which the sun can shine and the sea flow. As soon as the boat left, I realized how imprudent I had been to trust myself on a sloping rock with an unknown Sicilian. With a jerk, he became alive, seizing my arm and saying, Go to the end of the grotto and I'll show you something beautiful. He made me jump off the rock onto the ledge over a dazzling crack of sea. He drew me away from the light till I was standing on the tiny beach of sand, which emerged like powdered turquoise at the further end. There he left me with his clothes and returned swiftly to the summit of the entrance rock. For a moment he stood naked in the brilliant sun, looking down at the spot where the book lay. Then he crossed himself, 
raised his hands above his head, and dived. If the book was wonderful, the man is past all description. His effect was that of a silver statue, alive beneath the sea, through whom life throbbed in blue and green, something infinitely happy, infinitely wise, but it was impossible that it should emerge from the depths, sunburnt and dripping, holding the notebook on the deist controversy between its teeth. A gratuity is generally expected by those who bathe. Whatever I offered, he was sure to want more, and I was disinclined for an argument in a place so beautiful and also so solitary. It was a relief that he should say in conversational tones, in a place like this one might see the siren. I was delighted with him for thus falling into the key of his surroundings. We had been left together in a magic world, apart from all the commonplaces that are called reality, a world of blue whose floor was the sea, and whose walls and roof of rock trembled with the sea's reflections. Here, only the fantastic would be tolerable. And it was in that spirit that I echoed his words. One might easily see the siren. He watched me curiously while he dressed. I was parting the sticky leaves of the notebook as I sat on the strip of sand. Ah, he said at last, you may have read the little book that was printed last year. You would have thought that our siren would have given the foreigners pleasure. I read it afterwards. Its account is not unnaturally incomplete, in spite of there being a woodcut of the young person and the words of her song. She comes out of this blue water, doesn't she? I suggested, and sits on the rock at the entrance, combing her hair. I wanted to draw him out, for I was interested in his sudden gravity, and there was a suggestion of irony in his last remark that puzzled me. Have you ever seen her? Often and often. I never. But you have heard her sing. He put on his coat and said impatiently, How can she sing under the water? Who could? She sometimes tries, but nothing comes from her but great bubbles. She should climb up onto the rock then. How can she? He cried again, quite angry. The priests have blessed the air so she cannot breathe it, and blessed the rocks so that she cannot sit on them. But the sea no man can bless because it is too big, and always changing. Therefore she lives in the sea. I was silent. At this his face took a gentler expression. He looked at me as though something was on his mind, and going out to the entrance rock, gazed at the external blue. Then returning into our twilight, he said, as a rule, only good people see the siren. I made no comment. There was a pause, and he continued, that is a very strange thing, and the priests do not know how to account for it, for she, of course, is wicked. Not only those who fast and go to mass are in danger, but even those who are merely good in daily life. No one in the village had seen her for two generations. I'm not surprised. We all cross ourselves before we enter the water, but it is unnecessary. Giuseppe, we thought, was safer than most. We loved him, and many of us he loved. But that is a different thing to being good. I asked who Giuseppe was. That day I was seventeen and my brother was twenty and a great deal stronger than I was, and it was the year when the visitors, who brought such prose parody and so many alterations into the village, first began to come. One English lady in particular, a very high birth came, and has written a book about the place. 
and it was through her that the Improvement Syndicate was formed, which is about to connect the hotels with the station by means of a funicular railway. Don't tell me about that lady in here, I observed. That day we took her and her friends to see the grottoes. As we rode close under the cliffs, I put out my hand, as one does, and caught a little crab, and having pulled off its claws, offered it as a curiosity. The ladies groaned, but a gentleman was pleased and held out money. Being inexperienced, I refused it, saying that his pleasure was sufficient reward. Giuseppe, who was rowing behind, was very angry with me and reached out with his hand and hit me on the side of the mouth, so that a tooth cut my lip and I bled. I tried to hit him back, but he always was too quick for me, and as I stretched round, he kicked me under the armpit, so that for a moment I could not even row. There was a great noise among the ladies, and I heard afterwards that they were planning to take me away from my brother and train me as a waiter. That, at all events, never came to pass. When we reached the grotto... Not here, but a larger one. The gentleman was very anxious that one of us should dive for money, and the ladies consented, as they sometimes do. Giuseppe, who had discovered how much pleasure it gives foreigners to see us in the water, refused to dive for anything but silver, and the gentleman threw in two lira piece. Just before my brother sprang off, he caught sight of me holding my bruise, and crying, for I could not help it. He laughed and said, "'This time, at all events, I shall not see the siren.' and went into the blue water without crossing himself. But he saw her. He broke off and accepted a cigarette. I watched the golden entrance rock and the quivering walls, and the magic water through which great bubbles constantly rose. At last he dropped his hot ash into the ripples and turned his head away and said, He came up without the coin. We pulled him into the boat, and he was so large that he seemed to fill it, and so wet that we could not dress him. I've never seen a man so wet. I and the gentleman rode back, and we covered Giuseppe with sacking and propped him up in the stern. He was drowned then, I murmured, supposing that to be the point. He was not, he cried angrily. He saw the siren, I told you. I was silenced again. We put him to bed, though he was not ill. The doctor came and took money, and the priest came and took more, and smothered him with incense and smattered him with holy water. But it was no good. He was too big. Like a piece of the sea, he kissed the thumb bones of San Biagio, and they never dried till evening. What did he look like? I ventured. Like anyone who has seen the siren. If you have seen her often and often, how is it you do not know? Unhappy, 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 because he knew everything. Every living thing made him unhappy because he knew it would die, and all he cared to do was to sleep. I bent over my notebook. He did no work, he forgot to eat, he forgot whether he had clothes on. All the work fell on me, and my sister had to go out to service. We tried to make him into a beggar, but he was too robust to inspire pity. And as for an idiot, he had not the right look in his eyes. He would stand in the street looking at people, and the more he looked at them, the more unhappy he became. When a child was born, he would cover his face with his hands. If anyone was married, he was terrible then, and would frighten them as they came out of church. Who would have believed he would marry himself? I caused that. I. I was reading out of the paper how a girl at Ragusa had gone mad through bathing in the sea. Giuseppe got up, and in a week he and that girl came in together. He never told me anything, but it seems that he went straight to her house, broke into her room, and carried her off. She was the daughter of a rich mine owner, 
so you may imagine our peril. Her father came down with a clever lawyer, but they could do no more than I. They argued and they threatened, but at last they had to go back and we lost nothing. That is to say, no money. We took Giuseppe and Maria to the church and had them married. Ugh, that wedding. The priest made no jokes afterwards and coming out the children threw stones. I think I would have died to make her happy. But as always happens, one could do nothing. Were they unhappy together then? They loved each other, but love is not happiness. We can all get love. Love is nothing. Love is everywhere since the death of Jesus Christ. I had two people to work for now, for she was like him in everything. One never knew which one of them was speaking. I had to sell our own boat and work under the bad old man you have today. Worst of all, people began to hate us. The children first. Everything begins with them. And then the women, and last of all, the men. For the cause of every misfortune was, you will not betray me? I promised good faith. And immediately he burst into the frantic blasphemy of one who has escaped from supervision, cursing the priests, the lying, filthy, cheating, immoral priests who had ruined his life, who had murdered his brother and the girl, whom he dared not murder back because they held the key of heaven and could ruin him in the next life too. Thus are we tricked, was his cry, and he stood up and kicked at the azure ripples with his feet, till he had obscured them with a cloud of sand. I too was moved. The story of Giuseppe, for all its absurdity and superstition, came nearer to reality than anything I had known before. I don't know why, but it filled me with desire to help others. The greatest of all our desires, I suppose, and the most fruitless. The desire soon passed. She was about to have a child. That was the end of everything. People said to me, when will your charming nephew be born? What a cheerful, attractive child he will be, with such a father and mother. I kept my face steady and replied, I think he may be. Out of sadness shall come gladness. It is one of our proverbs. And my answer frightened them very much, and they told the priests, who were frightened too. Then the whisper started that the child would be Antichrist. You need not be afraid. He was never born. An old witch began to prophesy, and no one stopped her. Giuseppe and the girl, she said, had silent devils, who could do little harm. But the child would always be speaking and laughing and perverting. And last of all, he would go into the sea and fetch up the siren into the air, and all the world would see her and hear her sing. As soon as she sang, the seven vials would be opened, and the Pope would die, and Mangibello flame, and the veil of Santa Agata would be burnt. Then the boy and the siren would marry, and together they would rule the world forever and ever. The whole village was in tumult, and the hotel keepers became alarmed, for the tourist season was just beginning. They met together and decided that Giuseppe and the girl must be sent inland until the child was born, and they subscribed the money. The night before they were to start there was a full moon, and wind from the east, and all along the coast the sea shot up over the cliffs in silver clouds. It is a wonderful sight, and Maria said she must see it once more. Do not go, I said. I saw the priest go by and someone with him, and the hotel keepers do not like you to be seen, and if we displease them, also we shall starve. I want to go, she replied. The sea is stormy, and I may never feel it again. No, he is right, said Giuseppe. Don't go, or let one of us go with you. I want to go alone, she said. And she went alone. I tied up their luggage in a piece of cloth. And then I was so unhappy at thinking I should lose them that I went and sat down by my brother and put my arm round his neck. And he put his arm round me, which he had not done for more than a year. And we remained thus. I don't remember how long. 
Suddenly the door flew open, and moonlight and wind came in together, and a child's voice said laughing. They pushed her over the cliffs into the sea. I stepped to the drawer where I keep my knives, and the child ran away. Sit down again, said Giuseppe. Giuseppe of all people. If she's dead, why should others die too? I guess who it is, I cried, and I will kill him. I was almost out of the door, but he tripped me up, and kneeling upon me took hold of both my hands and sprained my wrists, first my right one, then my left. No one but Giuseppe would have thought of such a thing. It hurt more than you would suppose, and I fainted. When I woke up, he was gone, and I've never seen him again. But Giuseppe disgusted me. I told you he was wicked, he said. No one would have expected him to see the siren. How do you know he did see her then? Because he did not see her often and often, but once. Why do you love him if he's wicked? He laughed for the first time. That was his only reply. Is that the end? I asked, feeling curiously ashamed. I never killed her murderer, for by the time my wrists were well, he was in America, and one cannot kill a priest. As for Giuseppe, he went all over the world, too, looking for someone else who had seen the siren, either a man or, better still, a woman, for then the child might still have been born. At last he came to Liverpool. Is the district probable? And there he began to cough and spat blood until he died. I do not suppose there's anyone living now who has seen her. There has seldom been more than one in a generation, and never in my life will there be both a man and a woman from whom that child can be born, who will fetch up the siren from the sea and destroy silence and save the world. Save the world, I cried. Did the prophecy end like that? He leaned back against the rock, breathing deep. Through all the blue-green reflections, I saw him color. I heard him say... Silence and loneliness cannot last forever. It may be a hundred or a thousand years, but the sea lasts longer, and she shall come out of it and sing. I would have asked him more, but at that moment the whole cave darkened, and there rode in through its narrow entrance the returning boat. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of P.S. Nail's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.